I hope you have your Bible with you. If not, the uh, verses will be projected today. We're going to turn over to John chapter 1 is where we're going to begin today. John chapter 1. I've entitled this today, Reflections of Our Heavenly Family. Reflections of Our Heavenly Family. And what's the most creative job in the world? Well, the most creative job in the world involves fashion, decorating, recreation, education, transportation, psychology, romance, cuisine, literature, art, economics, government, pediatrics, geriatrics, entertainment, maintenance, purchasing, law, religion, energy, and management. Anyone who can handle all of these things has to be somebody special. And really, at one time or another, these are all part of motherhood, aren't they? Moms are amazing people. Let me say it again. Moms are amazing people. A godly mother is one of the greatest blessings any person could ever have. Now, I understand, I was sharing with somebody, uh, somebody actually, a, a friend of mine from Bible college, sometimes he sends me a text on uh, Sunday mornings. He says, I'm praying for you. And I said, I really appreciate it because these kind of messages are difficult. Believe it or not, these are difficult ones because there are so many variables. And what I mean by that is the variables in you all. Okay, I know how my life has been, but I don't know every life here. And, you know, some people grew up in wonderful Christian homes. Some people grew up in mediocre homes. And some people grew up in a home that was not something that was filled with fond memories. God is the one, though, who sets the pattern. And, you know, I wish everybody could have and experience the ideals that God has set up because I'll tell you what, folks, we would be so blessed and so joyful as people. But I understand it's not a perfect world. And so when we talk about things like how it was when you grow up and how, or how things are now or some of the things you've been through that aren't ideal, that can be difficult. I want you to know I understand that, but God nevertheless gives us a pattern. And a godly mother is one of the greatest blessings that any person could ever have. No words can effectively describe the long-lasting impact a godly mother has on her children. And that impact seems to grow over time. As time goes on and it comes back and children understand how much of an impact mom had, how much of what they do and what they think and all that. Mom was such an impact in our lives in that regard. I agree with Abraham Lincoln who said, no man is poor who has had a godly mother. And that is very true. Now, Mother's Day, as we celebrate today, is a day to think about the family. God created the family. He designed the family to be a source of blessing for all of mankind. Now, I know people are trying to redefine it today and they're making things up and inventing all kinds of things. No, when we talk about the family, we're talking about the family that the Bible tells us about, the, with that structure, okay? Husband, wife, father, mother, children. That is the idea of family according to God. And by the way, I know as much as you love your pets and we love pets, we love animals, okay? They're not the same 
They are family in a sense, but they're not the same, okay? Now you might say, you don't know my dog. Well, I may not know your dog, but I'll tell you what, I'll take one of our daughters over any dog. Believe me. The Lord is the designer of the family, and he designed the human family to mirror his spiritual family. Have you ever thought about that? God has designed the human family to mirror his spiritual family. You cannot get any better than that. And so we're going to look at some of the parallels and some of the reflections of that in the message today. We'll be going rather quickly, okay? We have seven points to cover. We're not going to exhaust them, but we are going to go and kind of get the glimpse of what God has given us. So the first one we see is this. Parents, particularly mothers, bring children into the world. You might say, where's the theology in that? You'll get it in just a minute. Let me give it to you again. Parents, particularly mothers, bring children into the world. By the way, that's why it's called labor. The mothers do the work, okay? The mothers do the work. Someone gave birth to you. You did not labor to give birth to yourself. You didn't work to be born, okay? Your mom worked so you can be born. And it is the same in the family of God. God is the one who gives birth to his children. Our efforts have nothing to do with us becoming children of God. It is the parent who gives birth to the child. You don't work your way into the family of God by good works. And yet, isn't that interesting? Because that's what most people think. The way you get into God's family is by laboring, by being faithful, by doing good deeds, by trying to be a good person. And you know what? Those are all good things, friend, but they'll never make you a child of God. You have to be born into God's family, and God is the one who gives the new birth. I want you to see it in John chapter 1 and verse 12. It says this, but as many as received him, referring to Jesus Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them, or literally to them that believe on his name. Now, what does that mean to believe on the name of Jesus Christ? Well, let me explain it to you early on in the message today. Why do we need to believe on the name of Jesus? The name Jesus means God who is our Savior. Now, you're believing on his name. You're believing on him that he is God who will save you. Now, a good question is, save me from what? That's a good question. And the truth of it is this. Save you from an eternity suffering in a literal hell. And you might say, well, that sounds like something hard to cover on Mother's Day. Friends, it's something we should cover all the time. Because what could be more important than you being sure you will not spend one second in hell, but instead you're going to live forever with joy in heaven with God himself. Nothing's better than that. This life, it's got a lot of wonderful things in it, and it's got some heartache and pain as well. But I'll tell you what, for those who know Christ the Savior, there's a joyful eternity awaiting us. And Jesus could come back at any moment to take us home. So let me explain to you how you can be sure you're going and what it is you're believing on Jesus for. This hand represents you and me and my wallet represents our sin. Here we are, we're all sinners. All of us are sinners. We know that, right? By the way, we're born sinners. Did you know that? We're born sinners. 
David said, in sin did my mother conceive me, okay? God loves us, he hates our sin. See, sin separates us from God. To go to heaven, you have to be without sin. Now that really messes things up because we're all sinners. The Bible says all of sin and come short of the glory of God. God says that sin has to be paid for if we're going to live forever with him in heaven. But there's a problem. There's nothing we can do of ourselves to pay for sin. You don't labor to get rid of your sin. You know, you could, some people say, well, I'll go to church. That'll help me. That'll score brownie points for me if I go to church. Friends, it's not going to help you get one inch closer to heaven. We're glad you're here. We hope you come every service that we have. But that will not help you get into heaven. You need a payment for your sin. If we do it, we're going to spend forever separated from God because the Bible says the wages of sin, the penalty of sin is death. No good works of any kind will take away your sin. That is why Jesus came. Because if you have to be perfect, think about it. We're sinners. The sin has to be gone. Even if you put tons of good works into your life, that doesn't take away the sin. It doesn't take away the sin. No, the sin has to be gone. We need a payment for sin. If we do it, we'll be lost forever. But God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son, this hand representing Jesus Christ. God in the flesh came into the world, went to the cross, took our sin upon himself, and he made the payment. So we don't have to. Jesus did it. He paid for it all, past, present, and future. And he came back from the dead. And his word tells us that if we will believe on him, that he did that for us, In other words, we put our faith in him that he has paid for all of our sins. The moment we do, we have eternal life. Our sin is taken away. It's completely forgiven forever. We go to heaven on what he has done for us. Now, when it talks about in John 1, 12, believe on his name, Jesus, his name means God who is our savior. When you believe on him, you're believing, you're trusting in him that he is God who will save you, that he is God the savior. That's all there is to it. When you believe in him, the moment you do, he gives you everlasting life. You go to heaven on what he has done for you. It's not by, you might say, well, I I think a Christian should live right. We'll, We'll talk about that. It's just, and that's good, but that won't take away your sin. You have to have a death payment for your sin. It's when you trust in Christ that he died in your place as your substitute. That's when he gives you that eternal life. You go to heaven on what he has done for you. This is a marvelous thing. This is a marvelous thing. And that's how you're born into the family of God. If you remember John chapter 3, well, we'll get to that in just a minute. But look at with me at Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. It says this. It says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Here we go. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. You know what regeneration is? That's the second birth. That's a new birth. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you notice it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. That's your good deeds. But it's according to his mercy, he saved us. According to his mercy. By the washing of regeneration. Okay, when you put your faith in Christ, your sins are washed away and you are renewed by the, the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26 says this. It says, for we are all the children of God. So how do you become a child of God? Notice this, by faith in Christ Jesus, not by laboring, not by working, but by faith. 
Just like I was born into the Kakuza family, I didn't work. My mom did the work. When our three girls were born, I didn't do the work then. My wife did the work, and she worked, especially with the second one. But you know what? She did the work. We have three daughters today. None of them can claim I worked to become part of the Kakuza family. They didn't do the work. Same thing in the family of God. No one can say, I worked to become a child of God. God is the one who did the work through Christ. When you trust him as your savior, you're born into the family of God, which leads us to our second point, and it is this. Once you are born into a family, you are part of that family forever. Have you ever thought about that? You might say, no, 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 I'm adopted. Now, wait a minute. You may be adopted, but is it not true you have birth parents? You can't undo that. That is a fact of life. Once you're born into the family, you're part of that family forever. You cannot be unborn. On the human level, when you were born, you became the child of your birth parents. There's nothing that can undo that relationship. You may have been given up on a human level to adoption, or maybe you have a very strict religious background, and when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, or let me put it this way, you have a strict religious background, and well, maybe when you became a Christian, your parents said, you know what, we disown you. We consider you as dead. You're no longer our child. Are you really no longer their child? No. You're their child. They're your birth parents. Guess what? In the family of God, God does not disown any of his children. Once you're a child of God, you're forever a child of God. No legal document or statement can ever change the reality of your physical relationship, nor anything you do can change the reality. Once you've trusted Christ as Savior and you've been born into God's family, nothing you could ever do can change the reality of you being a child of God. If it is true in the physical world, would it be any different in the spiritual realm? The answer to that is no. See, folks, God does not give birth to temporary children. He's an eternal God. If he's your father... If you trust Christ the Savior and you become a child of God, the only children God has are eternal ones. That's why once you're saved, you're saved forever. The idea of becoming unborn is nowhere in Scripture, and yet there are many groups that teach that today. Well, you can get saved, but then you can lose your salvation. Wait a minute. You're saying that you get the new birth, but then you are no longer a child of God. You lose that birth. No, no, no. Nowhere does the Bible teach that. Nowhere does it teach that. Once you're a child of God, you are forever a child of God. Once a child of God, always a child of God. Look with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, Jesus was talking to a religious, very religious man, a religious Pharisee in John chapter 3. His name was Nicodemus, and they were having a conversation. It was a private conversation. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Nicodemus was a very influential religious teacher, and the last thing he needed was for this conversation to take place out in the public arena where there were a lot of people witnessing it. He came to Jesus by night. He came privately. 
And they're having a conversation, and Jesus says in John 3, verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. See, there's the flesh birth, yeah, that's how we came into the world, right? And then there's the spiritual birth, that's how we come into the family of God. Verse 7, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. You need to have a second birth if you're going to enter or see the kingdom of God. If you're going to go to heaven, you got to have a second birth. One birth, a physical birth, is not enough. That's why religious people don't go to heaven on their religion. That's why you don't go to heaven by your good works, because it's you trying to work it, trying to make it happen. God says, no. Just like when you were born into this world, you didn't do the work. When you're born into the family of God, you don't do the work. God does the work. You have to be born again. Very interesting, by the way. The word again there is a Greek word. It's anothen. And it not only means a second time, but just as important, it means from above. From above. So this second birth that we need is one that comes from above. It's not something we manufacture. I want you to notice something else, though, going along with this point that once you're in the family, you're part of that family forever. It says you must be born again. Jesus never in Scripture says you must be born again, and if you flub it up, again, and if you flub it up, again, and if you flub it up, again. You know anybody who believes that? They believe you can keep losing your salvation, getting it back, lose it, get it back, lose it, get it back. That's a yo-yo salvation or boomerang salvation. It doesn't work that way. Peter said this in 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. That's an interesting term, but of incorruptible. You know what incorruptible means? Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Incorruptible means imperishable. It means immortal. As a matter of fact, it's even translated that way in Scripture. It is true and it lasts forever. When you are born again, you're born of an incorruptible, immortal See, God is the one who gives birth to a person who puts their faith in Christ. Jesus said in John 5, 24, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Do you see that? And shall not come into condemnation, but has passed or is passed from death unto life. That's the new birth. When you put your faith in Christ as your Savior, you pass from being spiritually dead into spiritual life. You walk through that door, so to speak, into Jesus Christ, into eternal life. And guess what? It's a one-way door. You can't get out even if you want to. Why? You're born into the family of God. Now let's go to the physical realm, back to the physical realm. Let's say a a child, you know how it is. As children get older, they think they become smarter than their parents. Their parents are no, no longer smart. You know how that goes? And of course, mom, dad, you don't really know anything. Well, you know, I used to think you knew stuff, but you don't really know stuff. And so maybe they'll get very frustrated and they're maybe 9, 10, 11, 12. They decide, I'm running away from home. I'm gonna run away from home. I don't want you as my parents anymore. Deep question. If they run away from home, are they still your child? Yes. Are you still the parent? Yes. 
You know, some of God's children are running from him, but they're still his children. They've chosen a path of rebellion against their parent, but they're still the children of God. You see these beautiful parallels, how all this fits together? It's a marvelous thing. It's a marvelous thing. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. You've passed from death unto life. You're a child of God. You might as well get used to it. And it's a wonderful thing, by the way, if you cooperate with God. Let's move on. Let's talk about some of the characteristics of godly parents today. Okay? Now, I'm not judging any of us. I'm just saying these are characteristics of people who model their parenthood after the family of God. Godly parents love their children. They sacrifice. They watch out for them. They care for them. You see, God is the perfect parent. God loves his children. He sacrifices for them. How do you know he sacrifices? Look at the cross. God is the perfect parent. No one loves as perfectly as he does. It is one of his attributes, by the way. Do you know what that means? It's one of the characteristics of God himself. It doesn't change. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. God is love. Let me show you something over in the Old Testament. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31. Now I know Jeremiah is talking, uh, or the text here, I should say, the Lord is talking. He's speaking. And yes, I know he's talking to mainly the nation of Israel, but really he's talking to all of us who are his children. If you've trusted Christ the Savior, certainly this wouldn't be any less true for you and for me than it is for the nation of Israel. But if you've trusted Christ, look what it says. Jeremiah 31.3, it says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Now, let me just say this today. You may have grown up in a not-so-lovely family. I get that. No family's perfect, and you say, Mine was so far from perfect, my family was not a good situation. But friend, let me tell you something. Don't judge God who is perfect by imperfect humans. Yes, God wants us, those of us who have trusted Christ as Savior, he wants us to have Christian homes that reflect the love of Christ, that reflect his character, okay, his consistency, his attributes, and all of that. And yes, we are to love our children with an everlasting love. Sometimes we call that in today's society, but it has to be defined. We'll say unconditional love. Now, some people, and I like the term unconditional love, that means it's an everlasting love. That means you love your children all the time, no matter what. But some people today have hijacked that term and describe or define unconditional love as no matter what they do, it's okay. No, it's not okay. It's not okay in God's family either. But he doesn't cease to love his children. You see, if children, natural children in the human realm, if children rebel, you don't just say, well, I love them. I just have unconditional love, so therefore it's okay. It's not an issue. No, it is an issue. There's going to be problems down the line. That doesn't mean you don't love them. As a matter of fact, sometimes you have to stand up to them. It's because you love them that you stand up to them. It's because you love them so deeply. You don't want their lives to be destroyed that you stand up to them. Doesn't mean you love them less. It shows you love them more. 
And we'll see that in just a few minutes. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. 1 John 4, verse 9, it says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, and that God, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. See, one of the marks of love is that you give your children what they need. I'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. What they need. Notice I didn't say what they want. I said what they need, which leads us to our next point, and it is this. Godly parents discipline their children. Now, this is painful water for some people, and I get that. This is painful stuff. I get that. I really do get that. I feel bad for people who have been physically abused growing up. It does happen, and I know that. Some people very much emotionally abuse growing up. Listen, don't mistake that situation for the family of God. Maybe you grew up in a family that was not a successful family as far as the human family, but friends, I want to tell you something. The family of God is a perfect one a perfect one. And yes, we should strive as Christians that our families would reflect the family of God and how God parents. But nevertheless, God has his way. Godly parents discipline their children. It is the same in the family of God. Did you know that? Now, I want you to listen very closely. Many people have a very hard time with this idea that God disciplines his children. This idea is becoming more and more prevalent as time goes on. I have received many emails over the years where people object to this truth, either in the physical realm of parents disciplining their children because they grew up in an abusive home where it wasn't done properly, and so they figure, no, it's a wrong idea, can't accept that. And then they completely, because they are saved now, they completely reject the idea that God chastens and disciplines his children. I'm getting things on a regular basis now. I don't believe in that. I don't believe God disciplines his children. I don't believe God chastens his children. And they'll even go so far as to say, well, that's not true under the dispensation of grace, which is where we live today, which I'm not going to get into the details of that. It is true under the dispensation of grace. The problem is you're having a hard time reading the Bible because the Bible is very clear on this. As I said, I've received many emails over the years where people object to this truth about chastening both in the natural realm and the spiritual realm. And usually, it is because they grew up in an abusive home. Don't throw the truth out because of what you've experienced, okay? You've got to be able to separate the two in saying, okay, this was wrong, but this is what the Bible teaches and understand it from God's perspective. What is God's perspective? Let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 12. This is very, very important. Well, I just let my, you know, my, I know some people say my children are out of control, but I, I just let them go their own way. I mean, I, I think you, you, the best way to parent is just let them go and so they can discover themselves. Well, just have them stand in front of the mirror for about five seconds and they'll discover themselves. Okay, now that we've got that established, okay, then let's go on and do the job that we need to do. What does the Bible say? In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6, it says, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every son 
whom he receives. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Now, don't turn me off on this. This is the eternal perfect word of God. And it says God disciplines us, trains us, chastens us. And not only that, but it goes further. This is what God says, and scourges every son. You know what the word scourge means? It's the same word that was used for what they did to the back of Jesus. It means to flog or to whip. Now, God never abuses his children, but he does chasten and scourge them. And this is what the word of God says. Now, how does he do it? He does it a lot of different ways, and we won't get into detail. But friends, don't say, well, I'm just going to turn off toward God then. Wait a minute. If you reject what God says, you are saying you're God. You are saying you're the standard. You're the truth bearer. You're the one who's come up with reality. You haven't. God is God. We are people. The problem is us understanding it as God has given to us, given it to us, not rejecting it because we don't understand it. It's saying, well, obviously, I misunderstand this. Therefore, I will learn what God means by this. Isn't that a better way to go? See, God's not going anywhere. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Do you see that? Every child of God gets disciplined. But if he be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, every child of God gets chastened. If you don't have that in your life, then you are illegitimate and you're not a child of God. You might say, well, why does it say that? Because even if you're saved, you're still a sinner, just like I am. And there are times we get stubborn with God, so he has to deal with us to break the rebellion, to break the stubbornness so that we will turn to him and be open. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh human earthly fathers, which corrected us and we gave them reverence. We gave them respect. And by the way, do you notice the reverence and the respect came after they corrected? Do you see that? That's one of the goals of proper parenting. That's one of the goals of proper discipline. You discipline in a right biblical way with self-control. You're doing it for your child, not to your child. And you're doing it so that they will, you can break their will so that they will submit to your leadership and they will respect you because they are not going to listen to you unless they respect you. Now that's true in the human family, but of course it's also true in the spiritual family, the heavenly family. We will not listen to God unless we respect him. So sometimes he has to step into our lives and he has to chasten us and he has to discipline us. And he, sometimes he has to scourge us. So our will will be broken. So we kind of raise up the white flag and, okay, now that you're listening, let's go on with life and we can experience all of his blessings. Now, I'm amazed. I'm covering these verses. I'll probably get more emails saying, you don't know what you're talking about. Isn't that amazing? It's right here. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they, earthly fathers, verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, for our profit, 
that we might be partakers of his holiness. You see, some earthly fathers discipline their children for reasons that seem good to them, but they're not perfect and maybe they make mistakes or they do it to satisfy their thinking. But again, they can make mistakes, but the Lord never makes a mistake. He knows just what to do, just how to do it, and how long to do it. And he does it driven by what? If you go back to verse 6, for whom the Lord what? Loves. His everlasting love is the driver for the chastening and the discipline and the scourging he brings into our lives. See, that's a good family. That's a good family. Verse 11, now no chastening for the present seeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Those are beautiful words. Peaceable fruit of righteousness. Peaceable. Peace in your life. This is what it will yield. And what? Righteousness. Righteousness. This is what God is trying to accomplish in our lives. Unto them which are exercised thereby. How many of you were ever exercised thereby growing up? Yeah, I was. Not many times. My dad used to say I learned a lot from watching my brothers get exercised. Okay. Some people say, yeah, it sounds like my dad. He was a patriot. Oh, a patriot. What do you mean? He laid down the stripes and I saw stars. I mean, that's, that kind of goes. But folks, this is so important. Yes, God is driven by love and because he loves and does not want his children's lives to be destroyed He steps in and he disciplines them perfectly and gives them exactly what they need. Sometimes it's just light chastening and discipline and instruction. Other times he has to really take it to us to break our will and to get us submitted to him. But that is the mark of a good parent. Not abuse. Not abuse. By the way, God never abuses his children. And neither should we. We're against child abuse. One pastor writes, I smile as I remember the Mother's Day card I saw that was really cute. It was a great big card written in a little child's printing, little first grade printing. On the front was a little boy with untied sneakers. He had a wagon and toys were everywhere. He had a little cut on his face and there were smudges all over the card from his dirty hands. It read on the front of the card, Mom... I remember that little prayer you used to say for me every day. That was the cover. Inside, you open it up and it said, God help you if you ever do that again. (laughs) It's pretty good. Let's move on. Godly parents, godly parents instruct their children. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord. This is written to the parents. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Here you go. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Parents have a responsibility. Godly parents teach, instruct their children, just like our Heavenly Father teaches and instructs His children. 
through his word. Godly parents do the same. Let's move on. Let me give you another one. Godly parents provide for their children. They provide, as I mentioned earlier, they provide what their children need. Godly parents do not give their children everything they want. Some things that children want are destructive, are going to cause them misery, are going to give them all kinds of problems. So a parent withholds that. See, a wise child looks at mom and dad and says, okay, I'm just going to trust you, mom and dad, on this. You don't want me to have that. You must have a reason for that. I'm going to trust you with that instead of throwing a temper tantrum. By the way, you shouldn't tolerate temper tantrums. Parents provide for the needs of their children. We should be glad God doesn't give us everything we want. I want you to see this. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. It says in 1 John 5 and verse 14, it says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we, here's the key, ask anything according to his will. Did you catch that? He heareth us. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Now, now listen, uh, when it says he hears us, that means he's attentive to what we're praying and he's going to answer that in the affirmatives, okay? It doesn't mean he goes deaf, that he can't literally hear, okay? God can never be imperfect. But you notice what it's getting at in the context. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The key is to ask according to his will, Don't fall for these false teachers out there today who say, well, if you just have enough faith, you'll automatically get whatever you want. Or if two of you, you know, you'll hear this. Well, if two agree, then you're going to get it. Okay, what if you both agree that God should provide for you two high-end Mercedes-Benz automobiles? You agree that. We agreed, we're going to get it. We keep looking, we keep looking. You never get it. We must not have had enough faith. No, no. There's a simple answer. It wasn't God's will. If you're a child of God, you prayed it, but you prayed it because it's the lust of your flesh that wants it or the pride of life. You're not doing it so that God gets the glory. You're doing it just because that's what you want. Just like little kids, you know, they want all the the bright things and the lights and this and that and, you know, the fancier and the cooler and all that. That's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want. They don't get it. Well, there's a reason you didn't give it to them because you knew it would be a problem for them. Our last point we want to cover is this. Harmony in the family is based on children being obedient to the parents. Hey, kids, there's no way to get around this. Raise your white flag and say, I'm going to be obedient to mom and dad. You know what? You are going to get along better with your parents if you just trust them that they're going to take care of you, provide for you, and help you make the right decisions that are going to bring God's blessings into your life. Just like in that human realm, it's the same in the family of God. One more passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 14, it says this, as obedient children, 
not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or lifestyle, because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. Harmony in the family is based on children being obedient to their parents. It is the same in the family of God. The Bible oftentimes uses a single word to describe this. It is the word fellowship. Fellowship is being in harmony with another person. It's having things in common. As one pastor said, and I love it, fellowship, it's two fellows in the same ship. They're going in the same direction. They're like-minded. They have harmony there. And you know what? That is sweet. As the children of God, if we go off into rebellion, God is not going to go with us there. It's going to break our fellowship with him. We are not going to have a harmonious relationship with him. He's going to have to step in and he's going to have to work in our lives to try to bring us back. And by the way, some children don't come back and he has to take them home to heaven. No, God wants us to be obedient. Joint participation, things in common. The Bible says as we as children of God walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with the other. See, God is always in the light. And that's where he wants us to walk, in harmony with him, submitted to his will, just like in the natural realm, okay? Any family where the children are in submission to loving, godly parents, that family is a family that is living with blessing. They're living with the blessings of God on them. They know it. There's peace. There's love. There's joy. There's contentment. The needs are taken care of. They love one another. They hug one another. Proverbs talks about the virtuous woman. Her children rise up and call her blessed. That's a good home. That's the way it should be. But you see, what does that take? That takes both parents and the children having harmony. Well, folks, God's not changing. It's up to us by the grace of God, to yield ourselves and submit to him and walk in obedience to his word as obedient children. And when we do, that is when harmony comes in. Harmony in the family is based on children being obedient to their parents. When children obey their parents, there's harmony and blessings are experienced. When children disobey their parents, there is friction and the parents must discipline their children. When the children respond properly, it brings harmony back into the home and as a result, back into the relationship. Now, for those of us today who are parents, we've covered some godly qualities today that the Lord wants in our families, just like as they are in his family. Our home should be reflections of the heavenly family. Now, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, that's where it all begins. If you haven't trusted Christ, would you put your faith in him today as your Savior? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.